today comes from James 5 verses 19 through 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is God's word. Well, we finally made it. We're on the very last sermon of James. It's been a great study, and today we uh, end it with the last two verses. Um, James, in writing his book, wastes no time as he exhorts his readers to count it all joy. The trials and the troubles, uh, to count them all joy. And he wastes no time in exhorting them to call upon the Lord for the wisdom that they would have to have in order to count it all joy. James then grounds our faith, the faith of his readers, um, with the relationship with the Lord, and, and, he, and he grounds it the very same way that Paul does in the work of God's grace and mercy alone, saying this in chapter 1, verse 18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, and that word of truth is Christ. And being made new by God's grace, James says we're to live new lives hearing and receiving, and yes, doing that very word that brought us forth. James proceeds to give us test after test to make sure that his brothers and sisters' faith is true faith, and that they aren't being deceived into thinking they have real faith when they really don't have faith. In Malachi 1, it's a passage, I think, that helps us understand the book of James and his intent. Let me read verses 6 through 10 of that passage. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You have presented defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is that not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now will you not entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts nor will I accept an offering from you. Let's get the picture that's going on in this passage. There's priests that are coming to do priestly work. They're approaching God to intercede on behalf of themselves and of the people of God. And, and, and they're doing it, you know, a lot of things rightly, apparently a lot. Um, generally, they're bringing the right kind of sacrifices in general. They are bringing it to the right place, to the altar of God, to the right God to the true God, not some false God. They're bringing it at the right time, and generally they're using the right process. They're also thinking they're doing right. They think they're, they're pleasing God and appeasing God, 
And, and God exclaims at the very end of that passage, oh, that someone would stop this from happening, that they would shut the gates and they would close the doors so that the people, the, the priests wouldn't be wasting their time and their efforts by practicing useless religion. God's not pleased. And that's, this passage is pretty shocking to most folks. God isn't satisfied with such highly religious folks seeming to do good things with good intentions, making sacrifices of their time and energies. Um, but doesn't just the commitment of making such an effort give us something, count for something? Uh, these people are religious people. They're not worshiping some foreign God, and they're not worshiping in some foreign place. They're worshiping the right God, the right place, and largely doing the right things with the right sacrifices, generally. But do you realize that even really religious people can spend their whole lives doing religious activities and, and being spiritual and end up wasting their time? You, you can deceive yourselves and you can deceive others. And what the scary thing is, is in Malachi, the very passage that we read is these priests are deceiving themselves and others. When and they say this, oh, Lord, when have we defiled your name? And God will not be deceived. Oh, that you would shut your gates, stop bringing this foolish religious stuff to the table. It'll do you no good. Go watch your football. Oh, there's not any of that. <laughs> Go beat the crowds to lunch. I guess you can actually do that these days. Play your games, read your books. Go take your naps. You would be better off doing anything rather than practicing useless religion. And that's what the Lord says here. And that's exactly what James is teaching about and, and the whole heart of his book is all about. He starts off his book in chapter one by saying, if anyone thinks that he's religious, let him check himself. If he's just religious, it means nothing. That's where he starts his book. And then James says, show me your religion by the, your day-to-day -day life and your relationships and your decisions, not just making a single decision to follow the Lord, but making all your decisions to follow the Lord. James doesn't write to condemn the readers, but he does write that the readers be not deceived into thinking themselves as religious and okay, when in fact that their faith is not real at all. He writes to those who claim to be brothers and possibly aren't really brothers. And he also writes to those, and this is probably the biggest group he writes to, to those who are brothers, but who have wandered away from the word of truth, whereby they were saved. And and he seeks to turn them back and to guide them back home and to ground them again in the eternal hope, which is theirs, which is Christ. To do this, James, like we mentioned, gives one test after another of true faith. And he shows how true faith works. True faith works to transform us, those who have been birthed anew by the word of truth, uh, by faith and through faith, we're actually transformed in the way we live day to day. Not just what we believe, but how we live out the gospel. So true faith works to change us. But true faith also works to keep us through the trials and troubles and justices and oppressions of life that James mentions all three. So true faith both, both transforms us and true faith holds us fast. It does the same thing. It, it transforms, or the same faith does two things, transforms and holds us fast. fast. James ends his letter as he started by turning back the wanderers to the, to the word of truth, to Jesus. Let me pray, and we'll consider these two uh, verses that are before us. Father, we thank you for the book of James. F Father, certainly we see that James, like Paul, grounds our faith and our, our, um, our walk with you and the work that you do alone, by grace alone, through your mercy alone, through Christ alone. 
knowing that we cannot birth ourselves anew, but that you birth us and you bring us forth by the word of your truth, Jesus. Thank you for that, Father. And I pray that as James uh, says and, and, and exhorts us that our lives will be changed and transformed and that we will be kept by that same faith that you give. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I, we, Cheryl and I recently purchased a, a really small house close to Anderson University that needed a tremendous amount of work. And, and not only did the house itself needed, uh, need work, but the whole yard needed work. Uh, the property is, uh, the very back of it is, is just a ton of bamboo. And if you guys know bamboo, it kind of takes over things. And not only was there bamboo, but there was wisteria vines and there was growing all over our nice trees and all over everything. And it, was, it had taken over the backyard. There was poison ivy, poison oak. There were two half fallen down buildings filled with all sorts of trash. And so what we did is we reclaimed that, that land. We, we cut down the, uh, some of the bamboo, we hauled it away, we cut the wisteria vines from the trees. We were doing all kinds of things to reclaim the back of our property. Now, when we do similar things to reclaim and repurpose furniture, a lot of people are doing that these days. They go in and they find furniture that's just been broken down and not useful at all in the condition it's in, and they restore and reclaim it and they repurpose it and it's good. And this morning we come to the end of our study of James and he ends with an exhortation that we all should be about the business of reclamation and particularly spiritual reclamation. And he says that spiritual reclamation is the greatest and most necessary of all reclamation work. And in fact, our passage tells us that the, the work of spiritual re reclamation or reclaiming the wanderer is literally a matter of life and death. So let's look at what this work is all about, and I pray that we would, as living hope of body, we would give ourselves over to spiritual reclamation. Now, some cultures and some people are very private and secretive when it comes to their sickness, and especially if they're seriously sick. Some don't really want other people to know what's going on with them. Other cultures and other people are really open about their struggles and about their sickness. And James talks about the most serious of sicknesses, the danger of turning away, and wandering away from the truth. It's the most dangerous of sickness that anyone could have. The book of Hebrews was a book that was written to people in danger of doing just that, wandering away from the truth. After the, the readers or the, um, the audience of he, he, the book of Hebrews had heard and seen and believed the truth, they were beginning to wander back into Judaism and, and re religiosity that wasn't salvation at all. They were wandering from the truth, and the writer of Hebrews writes the book similarly to James to, to turn the wanderers back. In James 5, 19 through 20, James presents this hypothetical picture. Uh, it's hypothetical, although it's happening all the time, uh, of a wanderer and an erring brother, and he gives the strongest warning of the consequences of failing to, to turn him back and for him to be turned back. And yet it ends with the sweetest and most encouraging promise of forgiveness and eternal salvation and hope for those who are turned back. From the Greek word that uh, is in, that's used to get the word wanderer uh, in, in this text, we get our word for the word planet. So the word sounds, the Greek word sounds much like our word planet, and we get our, our word planet from it. Planets seem to, if you look at them, they seem to be just wandering and hanging out there in space. In fact, we say to be spacey, it is to be a wanderer, not to be settled and not to be fixed and not to be focused. So how does this potential sickness take place? Well, it's just through a, through a little bit of wandering. 
through a little bit of drifting away, a little misstep here and there, and it usually happens a little at a time. One of my most terrifying experiences of life, and really there were two almost identical experiences that happened when I was between five and seven. One happened at, at Kmart. Now, Kmart no longer exists in Anderson, but the Kmart that I was at was actually the building that now houses Ingalls uh, Supermarket and our main uh, post office. That used to be Kmart. Like, if you, it's pretty interesting. They used to have blue light specials. And anyway, um, I, and the other one was very similar. It was at the Sears department store, which was not in the mall. Uh, it, it was actually where, um, right there off of uh, Main Street and um, 81, Highway 81 that comes together. And I think that there's a, a drugstore there now, a Rite Aid, if I remember right. That used to be Sears department store. And um, these same experiences that I'm about to tell are almost identical. I was a, about around five to six years old I was shopping with my parents when they wandered off. Imagine that. Where'd they gone? I mean, I remember all the details. And even now, I, I can remember how I felt. I almost get a stomach drop because I was so scared then that it stuck in my memory. I remember the details of where I was in the store, all those kind of things when they wandered off. And one minute they were there, another minute, one glance, they were, uh, they were gone. It, it's so easy to drift away. The book of Hebrews in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and I'm going to read just a little bit of that, that, those verses now, and I'll pick it back up in a few minutes. But it says this, For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard. So, why? So that we do not drift away or wander away from it. This warning in the book of Hebrews, along with the warning in James and the two verses that we're looking at today, they should serve the body, they should serve you and I as a flashing warning, warning sign that the frailty and the fallenness of, of our human nature and then the strength of the assaults of evil and, and the, the opposition, those two things create a real possibility that some among us may succumb, may give in, may turn aside from the truth. And the scriptures say, be careful too, lest you should fall and I should fall. James defines this dangerous wandering as straying from the truth, he says in the text. This, the tense indicates the act of straying kind of without a reference to how it happens. It's a moving away from the truth, and it can happen so quickly, and it can happen so many different ways. Galatians 1, 6, and 7, Paul talks about this straying a little bit too. And he says this, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. And what he means by that is you're, you've heard the true gospel. I, I, I leave the city and immediately you're, you're following other people um, who, who are telling you a different gospel. And then he says this, that's really not a different gospel because there is no other gospel. Only there, uh, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. This wanderer, then, is a person who has gone away from the truth. And you might ask, what do you, what do you mean? Initially, they go away from the Word of God doctrinally. They start believing something different than the truth of God's Word. And Paul said in Galatians, you turn away so quickly. It's so easy to drift. It's so easy to turn. And in verse 20 of our text, uh, we read, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way so the first thing is wandering away from the truth in what we believe. 
And in keeping with James, that, that leads to our going away from the truth and, and how we live, the pattern of our, our living and our way, it says in verse 20. So we need to look and listen for both wonders and theology and doctrine and wondering in our living and in our practice. We need to, to look for both of those things in ourselves and in our body. Now, a very familiar metaphor that God uses everywhere in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, multiple places, uh, to help us understand this type of wandering from the truth is the wandering of a way of sheep. Now, they're very social by nature. They like being around each other. But a sheep can be, become so distracted so, so easily and, and often lost. The grave danger and warning of straying away is further described in, in the Hebrews passage. Let's pick, up, pick that passage back up and let me finish out Hebrews 2, 1 through 3. For this reason, we pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So for James, this drifting and wandering is in, is in mind all the time when he speaks of being double-minded. When we, when we follow the Lord in one sense and then we turn and follow our own desires in another, being double-minded causes drifting and turning. So drifting happens, according to the text in Hebrews, when we begin neglecting the gospel, when we begin to, to lose our single-sidedness of of the truth of scripture and living our life for him. When, uh, what are the signs of the sickness? How, how do we know if we are starting to wander away from the truth? How do we know when a brother or a sister that's in our body is starting to wander away from the truth? Demas was a close friend and companion of Paul. And Paul calls Demas a fellow worker in the gospel. And yet we see in Timothy, that, he, that Demas wanders away from the truth. He had an affair. And if we picked it up, I don't have the text in front of us, but, but just in a moment, he gave himself over to something then following Christ. And it says in the passage that he had an affair with the world. He fell in love with this world, and he longed for the things that are in this world more than he longed for Jesus. So a sign of wandering is a loss of affection for Christ and his word. It's a, it's a, a losing affection for uh, longing for Christ's nearness and his coming. It's also a loss of desire to be around God's people. I mean, I'll ask you, do you long for and long and love to be around God's people? And, and by the way, I'll, I'll say this at least twice in the sermon, and, and I mean to say it twice. A, a lot of times, a, a sign of wondering is people stop being around God's people, but a lot of times that's the last sign. That's when they're about done with it, about ready to give in. We we need to engage them much earlier in the wondering process. So do you long to and love to be around God's people? And do you love and long for the nearness and coming of Christ more than you, than you love and long for the things and treasures of this world? That's the signs that we're starting to drift. When we start being double-minded and, and looking to maybe following Christ, maybe following my uh, selfish ambition. Now, I often hear these words when people try to excuse themselves uh, from when, when another person uh, is wandering and doing something, and they say, am I my brother's keeper? And what they're expecting is the answer, well, of course not. You're responsible for your own self. But for the Lord's people, the answer to that is absolutely yes, we are our brother's keeper. This text that's before us tells us that. The sin of an individual within a church 
is a sin that the whole church needs to deal with. And, and it's a sin about which the whole community must pray and the results of which will affect not only the individual, but will affect the whole body of Christ. And we, that's the way God structured his church. And the church is to share the interests of Jesus, who, as the good shepherd, makes the one wandering sheep a priority. And we need to do the same. Not in order to point them out and, uh, and condemn them, but in order to restore them and, and the community of faith. So the, the passage that's before us assumes the character and of, uh, of corporate community of faith. The errant brother is not uh, separate from the body, and he's not separate from the one who returns him to the path and saves him from eternal death, uh, but, but the whole body is affected. Living hope, are we living like that? James is, is exhorting us, the whole, the whole body, to live like that in the whole la half the last chapter of, of the book of James, to confess to one another, to pray for one another, encourage one another and to turn one another back to the right way. Do we have eyes and ears for the one among us who drifts from the gospel message and denies it? Do we have eyes and ears for the one who begins drifting in a lifestyle that's contrary to the principles of God's word? Maybe you're some of those who are like, I, I like to keep that to myself. You keep it to yourself, but God's word doesn't allow that for the people of God. Do we winsomely go to rescue and turn the wandering brother and sister around with our words and our works and our love and our prayers? Verse 20 says that the wanderer is, is called a sinner. This turning and drifting away in doctrine and in life, God says it's a sin. We were made to be a, a type of first fruits, to ever increasingly look like and long for Jesus. That's what God intended when he brought us forth by the word of truth. And here, no matter how it's happening, whether it's an intentional drifting or an unintentional drifting, whether it's other people coming in and teaching something that's false and we, we go after it, it's called sin. And the rest of the body of Christ must run to the rescue to pray for the brother, yes, but also to turn the brother back to the way, to save him from apostasy. That's a scary thing if we had time to go into all the detail of what that is. So no matter how it happens, no matter who's at fault, there's a serious departure from the truth that's happening. And no matter how it happens and no matter who's at fault, we're to run to the rescue for the purpose of restoring the individual to Christ and the whole body. When one, one, one member of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. When, when somebody turns a wonder back, the whole body is better for it. Now kids, uh, listen real quick. When you guys get injured, and let's say you have, since I have a foot injury uh, and had that for a while, let's say you get your foot really like beat up, like scraped up and it's really, really bad, cut up, you need a lot of stitches. Well, you you've usually probably run to your mom or dad and say, man, I'm you know, crying and like, man, I cut my foot up and you go get stitches. Usually you don't say like, you know what, that's just one part of my body. I'm okay. I'm not going to worry about, you know, crying or anything because my knee's okay, and my leg's okay, and my arms are okay, and my head's okay. No, the whole body hurts, right? So the, God's made the church like that. When one hurts, we all hurt. When one's turned back, we're all turned back and better for it. What's the extent of the consequences to the wanderer and to the body? Uh, what does it say in our text? What's at stake is the eternal soul of the person. That's what's at stake. And it's also what's at stake is the health of the body of the church around that person. The stakes are, are at the highest threat level. 
save his soul from what? From death, it says. And for James, he has in mind eternal and lasting death. Ezekiel says this, and he uses this phrase in, in two verses in chapter 18, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. So it's heavy consequences to have one turn and not be turned back and not be brought home. What is the instrument? Or maybe we'd say, who is the agent of recovery? Who is God going to use to turn a wanderer away? Well, of course, the preacher and the elders, right? Somebody in seminary, probably. But, but James says something quite different. He says this, if there's any among you who strays from the truth and one turns him back. Hmm. And then in verse 20, he says, let him know that he who turns a sinner back. So the one that God uses is exactly that one, one of his children, any one of his children. This passage is coming right after the passage that says, not just to call the elders, but to confess our sins to one another. Not just to have elders pray for us, but to pray what for one another. And then we have here, turn the wanderer back. In 2 Corinthians 5.18 is an amazing passage. And, and it's where God um, gives his children a responsibility and a task that's almost un, unreal. It says this, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That's an amazing thing. It goes on to say that it's like when I share Christ and I go about, and I'm about the, the, the ministry of reclamation or reclaiming a wandering brother, it's like I'm calling him back to Christ and that Christ is using me to, to entreat him to the gospel. We must tell the world that God was in Christ. We must tell the world that God in Christ reconciles the world to himself. We're ambassadors, all of us, not just one of us. The one in this verse is an indefinite one, and it leaves the agent of restoration kind of unidentified, indicating that this important, massively important business is not simply for the leaders of the church. It's for all the believers in the church. And there's something badly going wrong in you and me if we don't have a strong desire to bring a sinner back to God both a sinner who may have never indicated a trust upon God and those among us, brothers, uh, who are wandering from the truth. We're to look for people who are not confessing and praying for one another. We're to look for people who aren't being about being a keeper of their brothers and sisters. We're to look for folks who start neglecting the gospel, who start becoming double-minded. We're, we're to look for folk, folks who stop gathering with the people of God. But like I said earlier, that's one of the last things we have to be attentive much earlier in the process. We have to be involved in each other's lives, and we need to allow one another to be in our business because it's not simply our business if we're part of the body of Christ. It's a corporate business. We've been given the business to stir one another up, to cheer one another on, to pray for one another, to confess to one another, and here to turn one another back to the way. Jesus, if anyone is suffering if anyone is cheerful, keep on praying and singing praises. If you're really sick, call the elders. If anyone is wondering, somebody, anybody in the body, restore the one. The elders should do something. The pastor should do something. Yes, of course. But if something's going wrong, you and me be so involved in the body that we are able to be the agents to turn the wanderers back. The elders shepherd us, yes, but most often they're not to be the first persons on the job and on the task. If our body is living rightly, they may not be the first people most of the time. 
but somebody, anyone that's part of the body should do something about it. And then Jesus' parable, he says, the, the priests and the Levites passed by and they said, ah, somebody should do something about it. It's, it's often a messy and costly work, but the Samaritan gave himself over to the task of helping in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Someone should do something about the one who is wondering from the truth. Jesus uh, turns the question about who is my neighbor, he turns it around and, and he says and he teaches that we're all to be each other's neighbor. We're to be a neighbor, not just who is my neighbor, we're to be a neighbor and we're to help turn other people who are wondering about. The text continues and it says this, and, and one converted him. And that literally means to turn around or to, or to turn back. It doesn't mean to convert somebody to Christianity in the, in the sense of initially, primarily. It's talking about one who calls himself a brother, who's been walking in the way, who starts wandering from the way. And it's so easy to do that. He says, you go and turn him around, turn him back to the truth. Jesus uses the very same word when he's interacting with Peter, who had wandered from the truth, who had denied Christ. Jesus in Luke 22, uses this word, and he shows us how he, how he turned Peter back. It's clear that the wonder has become estranged from the Lord and the desire to be with the Father's people. But in grace, he's been brought back in this passage into a vital relationship to the Lord and his people. This person was a sinner. He was missing the mark of God's will by wandering from the truth, and his way is contrasted with the way of the truth in the passage. So we know that truth and error are mutually exclusive, but the converter has turned him from, or better, he's, he's brought him out of the path, his own path, and brought him back to the path of truth, the path of life. Now our passage says this, it says the work of restoring accomplishes two things. The first thing is that the wandering soul will be saved from death, and the second thing is that the Lord will cover a multitude of sins. So the, the text is the, says the converter is the subject of both of these verbs. And, and the converter, the one who is going after and, and turning the one back is spoken of as doing the work that really God only can do. We're, we're made a minister and an ambassador of his, amazingly so. We, we get to do the re reclamation work. We, we're called Jesus reconciles and we're called to the ministry of reconciliation. Not that we forgive sin, but we're called to be all about bringing uh, those folks back to the Lord who does forgive sin and wonders shall save a soul from death refers to the death of the restored sinner. That shall save the soul of the, the restored sinner from death. And that death, again, stresses the seriousness of the condition from which the sinner has to be rescued. Sin is destructive. And unless the, the work of sin is stopped in my life and stopped in your life, unless it's stopped anytime we wander away, it will lead to eternal death and separation. That's what's pictured all through James, and it's pictured in the very first chapter. Let's go to one passage there, James 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is, is tempted, I am being tempted by God. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. In Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2 are, are, are very complementary verses for really the whole last part of um, James chapter 5, but in that text it indicates that the work of restoring a sinner, the one who is used to do that, has to be a spiritual man. And what he means by that is 
we need to be one that's walking on the way that, that we know that we have our sins forgiven by Christ. Therefore, we can go and call others to that same forgiveness and, and back to the way. So the result of this uh, salvation is, is salvation of the soul from death. And the second thing is it says, um, the one who turns back shall have his sins, uh, 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 shall cover a multitude of sins. So the second result of flowing from being restored is that the sin of the wonder is covered. Now, it doesn't mean that it's covered in the sense of, oh, we have somebody in our body wondering and from, the, uh, from the faith and what they believe and what they're doing. Let's not say anything about it. It's not covering in the sense of hiding. It's covering in the sense of bringing it to light and securing forgiveness. How is that sin covered? Just like in Psalm 32.1, our sins are covered by being placed under the atoning blood of Christ. The erring one may be guilty of a multitude of sins, but what a great promise is in this text that if he turns back and if one brings him back, all those will be forgiven and covered by the blood of Christ. Sin is more contagious and more deadly than COVID virus. We take it pretty seriously. How, how seriously do we take sin? It spreads much more rapidly. It affects much, many more people to a much greater degree. But the wanderer need not despair his case. It's not hopeless if he returns. God forgives. Returning a wanderer to the right path is an act of love. On the cross, Jesus not only removed sin, covered it, he forgave it, but, but he also secured the means of returning the sinner to the path of righteousness. He didn't just cover our sin, but in covering our sin, he draws us back into the right path. How are we to, to, to be a person who turns back the wonder? How are we to do that? In, in the immediate context of these two verses, James doesn't give us an indication, but in the larger context that we've looked at over the last few weeks, we're to be confessing sin and being uh, those who listen in order to pray for the sin of others and the temptation of others, and we're to pray for and do all those things that the Lord might heal. The only way we can do that in Matthew 7, 5 is if we're to help a brother who is wonder, wondering, we must take out of the beam of our own eye and stop wondering ourselves. We have to be in a condition where we're not wondering from the truth uh, so that we can bring other people back uh, to the truth, the way of truth. Have you been birthed anew by the living word of Jesus today? Has he changed you and is he changing you? Don't be deceived. Don't waver between two opinions. Don't be double-minded. Don't be a wonderer. But when we do, we have great help. We have the confession of sin, the mutual confession of sin to one another. We, we can pray for one another. We have elders and righteous men, and we have the one another's in Scripture to look out for one another. So we should be lookouts. We should be looking out for one another, looking out and, and wonderer turners, we could say. But how do we do that? First, we have to examine our own life. We have to confess our own sins and, and repent. We have to confess those to the Lord who can forgive and to one another so they can pray. Um, and how do you do, how do you, how do you start helping other people turn? Well, first of all, you have to earn the hearing. You have to listen to them. You have to be in their lives. You have to know what's going on and how they're turning away. You have to pray for them. You have to listen to their confessions in a way to pray and not condemn. You have to be gentle. That Galatians passage actually says that those who are spiritual gently restore. You have to be gentle with them. And when they're restored, we have to speak the truth, continue speaking truth to them and stirring them up in, in the right way. Jesus did all those things, by the way, with Peter. We could go there if we had time and we would, but we don't. 
do you want to be an agent of turning the wanderer back? It's, it's our calling individually and corporately as a church to do that. And let's not wait to do this. Let's not wait to when folks stop showing up to meetings and to being around people. That could be too late. Let's start getting involved in each other's lives a lot earlier. And let's be like the shepherd who loves to go after every single wandering sheep. And like the prodigal son, when, when he's returned from wandering, let's celebrate. Let's be cheerful and sing praises. Old church, do you, want, do you know somebody that's wandering? Pray for them, love them, spend time with them, care for them, take opportunity to turn them back. Don't wait for the pastor or the elders or others. You do it. One, anyone do it that sees it. Are you wondering? For whatever reason, we all are wanderers, by the way. And Jesus came for the wandering sheep, and that's good news. And his blood covers over a multitude of our wanderings and our sins. And he restores sinners, and he brings the back, the, the wayward children back into not just covered, but into righteous path. Maybe today you've realized that you've been wondering. Maybe today you've realized that you've, uh, there's things in which you've become double-minded. My guess is that you and I and all of us have many areas of this. Oh, sinner, may you know that the Lord Jesus is a good shepherd who has a concern for every wandering sheep. He's the one who can pursue you in his love, and while you're wandering, he can turn you back and carry you on his shoulders and bring you home and, use, and restore you to the way of truth because he is the way of truth. Would you call on him today and turn to him that your sins could be covered and that we could all celebrate. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the truths of this passage. It, it's, it's a call to be involved in each other's lives in, in gospel ways. Father, I pray that your church of living hope, this, this local expression of the body would take the, the passage of verses 13 through 20 of James 5 very seriously. Father, we're called to be involved in one another's life because we affect one another. Father, I pray that we would be like our Lord Jesus, that uh, we, would, we would have eyes for the wanderers and that we would make priority every single sheep that wanders. And Father, when we do, I pray that we would open ourselves to be involved in uh, the business of one another if you called us, called us to do. And Father, when we see returning of, of wanderers to, to the way to Jesus, may we celebrate big time. And Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, uh, we have the one who draws us back from wandering the great shepherd of our souls. Lord, I pray that we would help stir one another up and point one another up to him. If there's any today that have been wondering, maybe they've never come home uh, for the first time. Lord, would you have them call on you and draw them to call on you who alone can draw those wanderers into the fold. And Father, for the brothers and sisters who are wondering today, and all of us are in some ways, Lord, would you uh, cause our, our wondering, double-minded minds to be singularly focused on the gospel more and more and help us to, to stir one another up toward that as brothers and sisters in Christ at Living Hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.